Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up first. Pro-dependence politicians and people who still think that this is not the way to go. French court upholds disputed New Caledonia referendum outcome. Not just myself. I think it's an acknowledgement of all the people involved. Pacifica community leaders awarded Queen's Birthday honours. We started from the premise of understanding the culture of the, the countries we've gone into. And we hear how Pacific myths and legends are being used to help combat violence against women and girls. A legal challenge aimed to annul the result of last December's referendum on New Caledonia's independence from France has failed. The highest administrative court in Paris rejected a claim by the Canuck Customary Senate that the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic was such that the referendum outcome was illegitimate. More than 96% voted against independence in the third and last referendum under the Numea Accord, but more than 56% of voters abstained. Senior RNZ Pacific journalist Walter Zweifel has been following the court case. Kia ora, Walter. Welcome back on Pacific Waves. Tell us more about this ruling. The highest administrative court in Paris has rejected a claim by the Canada Customary Senate that the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic was such that the referendum outcome was not acceptable or legitimate. Uh, let's remember that 96% voted against independence in the third and last referendum under the Numi Accord, but more than 56% of the voters abstained. Now, the court ruled that uh, the situation with COVID at the time had improved in October and November, and by the time that the referendum went ahead in December, more than 77% of the population was vaccinated. The complaint by the Canuck Senate was that uh, COVID had impacted terribly badly on the community. Uh, They could not meet uh, for weeks because there was a lockdown imposed in September when the first community case of COVID-19 was recorded in New Caledonia. Uh, Campaigning was not possible under those conditions and in a society where the verbal interaction, not the online interaction, is of importance. It, they felt that it was uh, to their disadvantage. They had asked, uh, that is, the pro-independent side had asked for the referendum to be deferred until this year, but uh, France rejected that. The challenge was now to annul the outcome of this referendum on the basis of that uh, COVID-19 situation. However, uh, the Paris court found, that, as I said, the situation improved. And it also said that uh, the mourning that was declared by the Canada Customary Senate was not such that it could have affected the sincerity of the vote. They also said that neither the constitution nor the law makes any point that would uh, you know, somehow subject uh, the outcome uh, of this referendum to the turnout. So saying even a few people turned out, the result was still valid. What is the significance of this? Is, is this the last resort um, legally for, for, for the Canucks, for the pro-independence? Well, it seems by law, yes, this is the case. I mean, the question was never whether the outcome of this uh, referendum was proper in the uh, formal sense. That, you know, there was no obstruction, uh, vote counting was correct. It was just on the basis of this COVID-19 situation. Uh, of course, it's very difficult for a court to somehow accept uh, uh, you know, these circumstances rendering 
a referendum outcome illegitimate. But on a legal basis, I think this is the end of the road. Uh, it's not the end of the road for the political side of the issue, because after all, the Canex felt that the decolonization process that ended uh, with the majority of the Canucks not taking part is not a reflection of how people felt. Uh, ever since the referendum, the plan has been by the Canucks to try to challenge this internationally, to go to, for example, the Pacific Islands Forum and go to the United Nations and try to push for pressure through these organizations to make France rethink its position and not accept this outcome. Uh, the likelihood of that succeeding is yet to be seen. In the instance that France sticks to its guns and uh, the referendum, the last referendum result is legitimate, what, what are the pathways ahead in terms of what could happen locally, both politically and also in, in, in the community and in society in New Caledonia? Uh, France has set out the path of how things should proceed because uh, for the French government, uh, the outcome is clear. It's, uh, they have a legitimate uh, victory. Uh, they want to set up a new statute for New Caledonia. The plan was already announced shortly after the referendum in December that a new referendum is to be held next June, that is in 12 months, when New Caledonians will be asked whether they want to have this new statute, whatever it is, it has not been worked out yet. Uh, the French Senate has already started hearing experts to try to figure out what sort of law change is necessary to accommodate a new statute for New Caledonia. Planned is already a delegation from France to go to New Caledonia within two weeks to have talks with local stakeholders to see what the next step should be. But it's all uh, happening while the Canuck side is still saying that they won't accept the outcome of this referendum. Uh, they say that uh, France knew all along even before the vote that more than 90% of Canucks do not want to keep the status quo, but they would like to have independence. Uh, they, they insist that this uh, position has to be taken into account. They also say that despite the three no votes in the referendum, that's not the end for the independence quest because the Nomia court states that should there be three no's, then the new situation has to be discussed. That means it's not given that it has to be a situation where New Caledonia returns to France, but that the pro-independent side, the Canuck people, will have to take stock and have new discussions with the administrative power that is France on the way forward. So things are unclear. France has set itself on a trajectory with a timetable, which I think is difficult to fulfill, while we have a, a sort of a non-compliant majority or almost majority of pro-independence politicians and people who still think that this is not the way to go. Um, difficulties are on the horizon. Dozens of Pacifica have been recognised in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for 2022. Their contributions to society making a difference in health, education, the arts and much more. Because the celebration of Queen Elizabeth's 70-year reign coincides with the Honours Awards, they've been renamed the Queen's Birthday and Platinum Jubilee Honours. Elisha Foon reports. Among the recipients is Dr Colin Tokuitonga, who receives the Knight's Companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Pacific and Public Health. 
Dr. Colin Tukuitonga is Associate Dean Pacific and Associate Professor of Public Health at the University of Auckland. He has been a changemaker in the COVID-19 response, particularly for the Pacifica community. Dr Collins says he is humbled to have been nominated. Thankful to be acknowledged. I guess I, I should also say that it's not just myself. I think it's an acknowledgement of all the people involved and I'm just fortunate to uh, have been uh, nominated. There are lots of people in our community who do the work here day in, day out. New Zealand-born Samoan opera singer Jonathan Faafitai Lemalu says he's in disbelief after being awarded for his services to opera. The Grammy Award-winning bass baritone has been performing internationally for over 20 years. He says it was a complete surprise and honour. But I honestly didn't believe it. I thought it was a joke, hilarious in a way, because... um, it just didn't sound like it was something that would be happening to me. Um, it's certainly not something that one actively pursues. Hugely humbled. Mum got a, a Queen's birthday honour, I think, in 2006 for services of the Pacific community. And so it felt really cool in a way to follow in her footsteps. Mangarei College Deputy Principal Melinga Lenu Assam was also in shock when she had received news of being included in the Queen's birthday honours list. Mrs Assam received her member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to Pacific language and education. She says growing up in Samoa, her parents were her biggest role models. My parents uh, played a huge part in my life. My mother was a nurse and my dad was a judge. They, they gave me the opportunity to come to New Zealand as a, on a scholarship and they instilled in us the importance of achievement and success, whatever field it may be. Gabriel Sesefo Makesi has been awarded a Queen's Service Medal for services to Pacific communities and education. Over the last 20 years, she's been running Tutangata Polyfest and education workshops, as well as providing social services to Pacifica and Wellington. She says the award represents efforts from her cousins and entire family. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And to those who much has been given, much is expected. It means heaps to me. It feels like such a privilege. I feel a little bit of an imposter in terms of there are so many people that work really hard. I've just been given the privilege through the way I've been raised and the skills I have and the family I come from. Former Black Caps Leah Upepe, Luteru'u, Ross Pautoa, Lotter Taylor has also been honoured for services to cricket and Pacific communities. Taylor retired from cricket and signed off as New Zealand's most successful Test batsman, with 7,683 runs, including 19 centuries from 112 matches between 2007 and 2022. I'm a proud uh, Kiwi and a proud. Uh, Samoan as well. I've been fortunate enough to have the platform uh, to be able to give back throughout my career and I guess now I'm retired. I look forward to to giving back even more. I'm sure my family and and especially my mum are are very proud. Born and raised in Tonga, Reverend Hewini Nuku's dream to provide a better life for Pacifica in New Zealand has also been recognised. Hewini currently manages the Poriroa Union and Community Health Service in Cannons Creek and has been a church minister for the Methodist Church of New Zealand since 2009. He says providing health, educational and spiritual services to Tongan and Pacific communities 
has been vital to his purpose. Humbly feel honoured to receive this. Why we established that particular training? Because there are young people, they have a potential, but they need some extra attention and support. It's going to be get a better job. It's going to be a good um, incomes in order for the family to have a better life as we dream. There are at least 19 Pacific recipients in New Zealand who have been awarded for their dedication and services. How to stop gender violence in the Pacific is the focus of the Pacific Community Social Citizenship Education Programme. This is part of the Pacific Partnership to End Violence Against Women and Girls, which last week published a paper detailing what they've been doing. One of the things they've discovered in their work in schools across four countries in the region is the use of traditional myths and legends to convey non-violent attitudes. And as the SPC's Arieta Modeida told Don Wiseman, it works. What we're saying is you need to start to implement activities or strategies in one of the three areas or one of the three main spheres that are the main spheres for Pacific Islanders, which is places where we learn, places where we worship, and places where we play. And so for the Pacific community, we are very much engaged in the sphere of education in the four pilot countries. And so what we, our paper is saying, we think that this will work in the long term. We've just started. It's four years or three and a half years into a five-year program. We're already starting to see some little shifts, and really this is based on feedback that we're getting from teachers and students, but to really see any transformational societal change, we might not necessarily see it in the life of the program or even necessarily in the life of our term in office. What are the sorts of changes that are becoming apparent? What we're seeing through this program is that One, there's not the pushback against human rights as there has been. And one of the reasons why we're seeing this is we've started from the premise of understanding the culture of the the countries we've gone into. Oftentimes, and in the past, when you bring in just human rights per se straight into the classroom, there'll be a lot of pushback that is human rights, women's human rights are against our culture, are against our religion. And so what this program, the Pacific Partnership to End Violence Against Women and Girls, and in particular the Pacific Communities Social Citizenship Education Program has done, has started in the three countries that started, which is Kiribati, Tuvalu, and RMI, the three countries that put their hand up to trial this. We have got consultants to first go in, these are local people, to capture their legends, their stories, their folklore, their proverbs, their dances that had elements of respect for human beings, respect for dignity of human beings, that frowned against violence, that talked about inclusion and social inclusion. And we documented those stories. And what the program has done is using those legends and stories, worked with the ministries of education, in particular the curriculum development unit. And I'll use RMI as an example because we have done the most work with them in this space. And each country is at different stages for very many, many reasons. And COVID also has had a part to play yeah, in the implementation delays. But RMI, for example, what the program has done is it's taken a lot of lessons learned from many other social change programs that have wanted to bring in new curriculum, 
we found curriculum will come in and sit on the shelf. The ministries are so inundated because every social issue wants to get mainstreamed in school. What the program has done is one down the cultural mapping, but more importantly, worked with the curriculum unit and said, all right, these are some, some of your own legends and fables. And they identify with them because they grew up with those legends and said, how do you want to use them to strengthen your learning outcomes? There's big agreement and they're very happy, no new curriculum, but let's strengthen the learning outcomes. Let's just develop teaching resources or teacher guides to augment the learning. And so the RMI said, all right, we want to focus on curriculum from grade five to grade 12, but only in these subjects, social studies, health studies, basic science, martial arts studies, and English, and really looking at where in the curriculum do they want to then have strengthened learning outcomes, activities augmented, taken from the legends and things. Huh? And so we've just completed a round of training with the teachers in the pilot schools in RMI and Vanuatu. Once we started with the training with the teachers, we started with the legends and fables. We didn't come in and say, we're here to talk about human rights today or hold up the UNDHR. We just started by giving out the legends and fables. It's something very familiar to them, and there's a bit of a giggle because they remember the elements of the story. Once they've read it through once, we then start to ask them, do you see elements of nonviolence, of frowning upon violence, of respect for differences in there? They start to develop those lenses. Then the third reading through, we give them a copy of the UNDHR, the 30 articles. Start to identify elements of the UNDHR you see there in terms of the respect for human rights or respect for the environment. Environment, and they start to make those connections. And so that's the first session altogether. You already then just disarm them from the, you know, the attack of this is against our culture. You don't waste one or two days just having a back and forth and fighting on the culture because one, you're not from their culture, but you really start to have very productive conversations around aspects of culture that might have been taken out of context, that's been used to justify violence and that sort of thing, and understanding why. And so we believe that this is one strategy strategy that will work. And, uh, you know, we'd like to capture results in the next four or five years time and really start to see some changes in the statistics or even changes in the levels of bullying being reported in schools. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us ratings so others can also find us. We'll give you for that next time more.